This is a scripture reading for today, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home. And the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. This summer we're preaching passages from the lectionary. The lectionary is a, it's a Bible reading plan that is designed for congregations to use in their worship services so that we, over time, we work through um, really all of the Bible and we hear different messages from God. And today we're looking at Psalm 84. Let's just pause again and pray and invite God to speak to us. Lord, we are grateful for your word in a world with so many confusing messages. We thank you that you give us a word of truth, and we ask you to speak from it uh, deeply to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a, there's a very famous scene, you might be familiar with it, in the Shakespeare's play, Romeo and Juliet, and in this scene, Romeo is hiding in the garden outside of Juliet's house. He's staring up at her bedroom window, and without realizing that her beloved is out there, Juliet comes to the window, and she kind of rests her face in her hand like this. And when he sees her, Romeo says, see how she leans her cheek upon her hand, oh, to be a glove upon that hand that I might touch that cheek. And when you think about it, that's kind of a weird thing to say, right? I mean, this is a human being stating that he wishes he could be turned into an article of clothing. He's saying, I wish I were one of Juliet's gloves, then I could touch her beautiful face right now. That is a strange thing to say. But we all understand why Romeo said that, don't we? He was in love. That's the kind of language that's used by a person who is in love. That is love language, isn't it? And that's the kind of language that we see in Psalm 84. In Psalm, Psalm, <coughs> excuse me, Psalm 84, the psalmist is remembering 
various visits that he has made to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem over the years, times when he has gathered in the courts of the Lord with the people of God to just enjoy the goodness of God's presence. And as he remembers the Lord's temple, he thinks about these little birds that had apparently built their nests in different places in the, in the temple grounds. I guess maybe there were crevices in the rocks of the wall around the outer courts or under the eaves of the building. Little sparrows, little swallows had built their nests there. And so as he thinks of these birds in verse 3, kind of like Romeo, to paraphrase him, he says, oh, to be one of those birds. He says, even the sparrow has found a home near the courts of the Lord. He's just like, I wish I could be one of those little birds. Then I could live in the presence of God forever. Now, that's, that is love language, isn't it? That's that, that kind of language. That's a language of someone who is in love. In love with who? He's in love with God. Now, a, a lot of people would be surprised to learn that that kind of language is found in the Bible. Maybe you have some neighbors or co-workers or friends who would be kind of surprised to learn, what, it says that in the Bible? Here's why, because it's very easy to miss, to kind of misunderstand the message of Christianity. Some, some people think that Christianity, it, it's all about the things that you do. That's what makes you a Christian, what you do. So what do Christians do? Well. Christians read the Bible, Christians go to church, Christians work for justice, Christians help the poor. The things that you do, that's what makes you a Christian. Other people think that, no, Christianity, it's all about what you believe. Christians believe certain things. You believe the Bible, believe the gospel. You adhere to the, the teachings of the ancient church. It's, it's what you believe. Now, listen, both of those things are important, right? Both our deeds and our creeds are important, but a lot of people would be surprised that to, to learn that very often in the Bible, like here in Psalm 84, very often in the Bible, the life of faith, it's not described as the things you do, and it's not described as, as what you believe. Very often in the Bible, the life of faith, it's described as being in love, as being in a relationship with a, with a God who loves you and whom you love. Now, if, if, if you are familiar with Scripture, that won't surprise you because the God of the Bible has revealed Himself as a God of covenant. What is covenant? A, a, a covenant is a formalized relationship. The, the God of the Bible reveals Himself as, as a God who is a personal God. He's not a force field. He's not a philosophy. He's not an idea. He is a person who really, really loves His people and who wants us to enter into a relationship with Him, a relationship that's characterized by love. And so, so the author of this psalm understood that. The author of this psalm is just in love with God. Now, what is, what is this author of this psalm love about God? Why, why does he love God so much? Well, he gives us at least two reasons. One, one, thing, one thing he says throughout this psalm, he says that in his experience, knowing God brings joy. He said there's, so, there's something about being in a relationship with God that brings deep, lasting joy. 
to a person. You may have noticed that there was a particular word that was repeated throughout this psalm. Three times you see the word blessed or blessed. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Verse 12, Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now that word blessed sounds very churchy, doesn't it? Very religious. I don't usually walk around saying blessed, except maybe in church. But in the Hebrew, did you know the, the word that they translate blessed, it really just means happy. He's just saying people who know God are happy. Now, he's not talking about giddiness. He's not talking about some kind of superficial frivolity, you know, you're happy like when you're eating an ice cream cone. No, he's talking about, he's talking about something much, much, much deeper than that. You know what he, he's talking about? Being content. He's saying that, that for those who know God, there is a deep, deep contentedness that a relationship with God brings. Knowing God, he says, brings joy. In fact, the psalmist said that for him, he said, knowing God brought him so much joy, verse 10, he says, better is one day in your courts, in your presence, God, than a thousand days anywhere else. Now, thousand days? That's almost three years, right? Let's imagine that uh, you are offered the chance to have a three-year vacation, three-year sabbatical, all right? All expense paid trip anywhere you want to go, anywhere you want to go for three years, all your expenses. You can go to Hawaii, you can go to the mountains, you can take a cruise, you can go to Europe for three years. For three years, you can make all your friends on Facebook jealous with pictures of you everywhere, enjoying meals and resorts. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be pretty cool. The psalmist says, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. But he says, I, think, I, I know I would, get, I would get more lasting joy with just one day, just one day in the presence of the Lord. Now, is he exaggerating? Yeah, maybe. But, but, but I, think he, I think he's serious. And, and, and we might ask him, why, why do you think you would get so much more joy from, from knowing God? And I think he gives the answer in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, my soul. You see that word soul? He says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my heart and, he says, my flesh cry out for the living God. He says, my soul my heart, my flesh. In other words, he's saying, my entire being, all of who I am, is crying out for God. I think what the psalmist understood is that deep down inside, what he needed, what you need, what your soul is crying for more than anything else is a relationship with God. Now, why would that be? The Bible tells us because every one of us, we were created to do what? To be consumers? To be workers? You were created to be a student. You were created to be a taxpayer. No, you were created in the image of the living God. Do you understand that? You were designed 
to know the infinite one. You were created to know God. And so, so the psalmist, he's basically saying here, the reason, the reason one day with God would be better than a thousand anywhere else is because I was designed for God. You ever wonder why um, so many people in our society seem to be just kind of lacking in joy? And we, we are arguably, listen, we are arguably not only the richest nation in the world, we are perhaps the richest society in the history of the world. And, and yet they say there's just almost an epidemic of despair among us. Why is that? Well, listen, um, a bird that's in a cage is usually not very happy because birds were designed to fly. A, a, a fish that's in an aquarium, it doesn't, they don't look very happy to me because fish were, they were made to swim through the open sea. And a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who is not in a relationship with the eternal God will never truly be happy. Why? Because human beings were created for God. You were created in the image of God. That's what we were designed for, to know Him. And, and, and so the psalmist says, my, everything in me, my soul, my heart, my flesh, is crying out for you. And this is something we all need to learn. Listen, what your soul is crying out for is not one more trip to the shopping mall, right? It's not one more movie on Netflix, then I'll finally be satisfied. Not one more accomplishment in, at school or at work or on the athletic field. Listen, those things are not bad, but they will, none of those things will ever fully satisfy us. Why? Because, listen, you were created for God. And, and that, if you know the, the gospel, the whole reason Jesus came to this world, why did he come? Just to give us a lecture? To, to teach us a new religion? No, he came to restore people who were alienated from God to a relationship with the living one. He, he came to restore us to what we were designed for, to know God. There's a Christian author named Sam Storms. I, I love what he wrote. He said, there is a global conspiracy to seduce the human soul with cheap and empty pleasures. You were not created for boredom or for burnout or for bondage to sexual lust or for greed or for ambition. No, you were created for the incomparable pleasure and the matchless joy that only knowing Jesus can bring. Only in Him will you encounter the life-changing, thirst-quenching, soul-satisfying delight that God, for His glory, created you to experience. So why is this psalmist, why does he love God so much? I, I, think, I think he might say, because, listen, I searched everywhere else and nothing satisfied me, but when I, come to the, when I come to the God who made covenant with His people, finally, I find joy. So one reason is because knowing God brings joy. A se second reason, he says, is because knowing God brings security. Security. Now, we talk about joy, and I think we want to be very, we want to be very honest here. The, the fact that knowing God brings joy does not mean, would you agree with this? It does not mean that people who know, know God never go through hard times, does it? It doesn't mean that they never wrestle with sorrow or difficulty. In fact, the psalmist tells us that. Verse, verse 5, he says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, Lord, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. 
Now, no one's exactly sure what is this Valley of Baca. They, I don't know if there's a record of that being an, a place that's, that, that's ever mentioned in Scripture. Some, some Bible versions will translate this the Valley of Weeping or the Valley of Tears because the word Baca, it sounds a lot like the Hebrew word for weeping. So it might be saying they go through the Valley of Weeping. Others think you might want to translate this when they go through the dry valley or the arid place because the word baka sounds like a certain kind of tree that would only grow in very dry places. So, so the psalmist seemed to be say, saying, those who set their hearts on knowing God, they go through the valley of weeping. They go through the, va- the, the dry, barren valley, right? Either way, it's not a good place. He's talking about people going through a very hard time, and I wonder if you, if you can think back on a time in your life where you would just say, that was the Valley of Baca. Or maybe right now you feel like you're in the Valley of Baca. Right? So he's just admitting here, listen, God brings joy. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that. But I need to admit, sometimes even God's people go through hard times. But look, look at what he says. He says that even when they go through the valley of Baca, verse 6, he says they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. So I think the psalmist is saying, he's using poetic language. He's saying, yes, yes, indeed, God's people go through dark valleys. He says, we go through them. We don't just go to them. It's not like God just brings you to the valley of Baca and says, well, here's where you get off. You have to stay here in the, in the valley of weeping for the rest of your life. He says, no, we go through. We go to the other side. He brings us out. And as we go through the valley of Baca, guess what our God does for us? He makes us stronger. We go from strength to strength to strength. Don't you, don't you remember places in the Bible that say that? James says, consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know what? What do you know? You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. God makes you stronger. He says, as we go through the valley of Baca, we go from strength to strength, and each one of us appears before God. Not one of us is left behind. We all make it to where God knows we need to be. In other words, he's saying, even when we go through really, really hard times, because God is there, we are safe. We are secure. The the Apostle Paul talked about that, about going through hard times, and yet somehow God uses them. To, 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 for our good. Remember that in Romans 8, 28, he says, we know, we know what? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Even when you're going through the valley of Baca, God is right there. He says, I know where I'm going to take you. I'm going to bring you through. And when you come out the other side, oh, you'll be stronger than when you went in. So he's, he's saying, God keeps me secure. Middle of verse 10, he says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And someone says, well, why would you not want to dwell in the tents of the wicked? Have you ever slept in a tent? Huh? 
on a rainy day like today when the wind is blowing? I mean, tents are nice, but they're not very secure. They're pretty flimsy. They're temporary. They don't last. He says, you know, the wicked dwell in tents, but I'm in a house. I'm in the house of the Lord. And even if I'm just, even if all I ever am in the house of the Lord is nothing more than a doorkeeper, at least I'm not in a tent. I'm in a house. And I am safe and I am secure. I, I, I think that that's the image he brings to mind with the little birds in the walls. He said, those birds, you know what? They're so safe in the presence of God. They can make their nest right there. They can lay their eggs. They don't have to worry because with God they are safe. So this is what he's saying to us. He's saying that when when, when you have this relationship with God, not that you will not go through hard times, but that God is with you. Amen? Do you know that to be true? And He brings you through. He, he says in verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and what? A shield. This surrounds you. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And some of us are saying, oh, I knew there was a catch. I'm supposed to be blameless. I'm not blameless. Listen, in, in the Old Testament, the, 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 the word that's translated blameless, or sometimes it's called upright, it doesn't mean moral perfection. It doesn't mean sinless record. In the Old Testament, this idea of blamelessness, you often read of Old Testament uh, men and women who are said to be blameless. It just meant that they lived a life of faith. They trusted God. They followed Him. Are you trusting God? Are you following Him? The Old Testament writers would say, you're blameless. And the, author, the psalmist is here saying, no good thing does God ever withhold from those who trust Him and walk with Him. Now, you know, this doesn't mean that God gives you a new car every year, that you'll always have the job of your dreams. No, no listen, those may not even be good things, right? may not be good for you to get all that. I think what the psalmist is saying, that God is so committed to His people that everything that God knows that you need for Him to accomplish His good purpose for you, He'll give it to you. He'll bring it to you. God, God, we do not have a stingy God. He's not going to hold back from you something that He knows you need for His eternal plan in your life to, to come to fruition. What, how do you know this as, as Christians? How would we be sure of this? Well, we would say, I know God is committed to me because He gave His Son. Why, why, would, he, why would He give His Son to die in my place if He didn't really love me? Why would He do that if He were not on my side? What's it? it says in Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare His own Son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, believer in Christ, are you trusting Christ? God loved you so much, he gave his son for you. Do you think he's on your side? Do you? Of course he is. And so even when you're going through those hard times, you say, you know what? This is a really dark time, but I'm going to go home today Tonight I'm going to put my head in my pillow and I'm going to sleep secure because, because God will bring me through. Some of you know that the uh, first question to the old Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, this was a, a uh, sort of a, a discipleship tool designed to train people in their faith. And the first question is, 
what is my only comfort in life and in death? The answer is, my only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own. I, I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me so thoroughly that not a hair can fall from my head outside the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Jesus, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life, and he makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. In other words, I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to Jesus. I am in his hands, and in his hands, I'm safe. Now, do you see why? People fall in love with God. If you see why this psalmist, he's like Romeo, just, he's just in love with the Lord. He, he, says, he says, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. A sun, you know, on a dark night when the sun finally rises, how do you feel? You feel joy. He said, the Lord is a is sun. He brings me joy. And he's a shield. He keeps me safe. And I love him. I'd like to pray for us now. Would you join me in prayer? God, I want to pray for each, each person um, here today or those joining by live stream. I, I pray that you would give us um, the understanding of your goodness that would lead us to that kind of love. Some, some might feel like, I don't even know what this pastor is talking about. I, I pray that you would open their hearts to know the depth of your love for them in Christ, that they would fall in love with you. And some of us here might remember uh, when we used to feel so passionate in love for you, but it's just a distant memory. I pray that you would restore our first love to us, that we would rejoice in you. I, I pray that, that you, would, you would give us that kind of satisfaction and joy of seeing your goodness in Christ, in his name. Amen.